All right. Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, we, like the rest of the nation, are still grieving and mourning uh, what happened in Nashville yesterday. Um, the uh, the Christian school shooting, of course, there that uh, uh, just so horrific and so terrible. And of course, our thoughts and prayers are with the families uh, who were there. And also, uh, we pray for the family of the shooting uh, suspect as well, who wound up losing her life in all of this. And uh, there's a lot of information that's going on uh, here in the programming uh, that we're going to be talking about today. But we're also going to do something that I think is important uh, for us um, as we, as members of the body of Christ, grieve with those who grieve. And that is, we are going to, um, we're going to take a collective breather here. <laughs> um, I know it's been a really tough morning and afternoon for me and for Tamara and for everybody here who produces the Bottom Line Show. And um, just watching the video that was released, David Harris uh, posted the about two and a half minute clip of the officers entering the building and um, arriving at Covenant School's campus. And uh, it's just, it's so dramatic and it's so powerful. Um, in the second half hour of the program today, we are going to um, hear that and I'll do a little play-by-play for you. We do have that video posted at thebottomlineshow.com and please know that this is body cam video from the officer who was the lead officer of the ones who arrived on the scene. They arrived in less than three minutes and within about three more minutes they had apprehended the suspect and actually the suspect lost her life in the gunfire. Um, and there are so many questions that people are asking and answer, uh, trying to answer. Um, of course, the gun-grabbing advocates are running all over the place talking about how gun violence is the leading cause of death among kids and teenagers. And that's, unfor- I mean, again, I'm, I'm not saying unfortunately because I have a political axe to grind in this, uh, but that's not true. And even the CDC uh, will, will acknowledge that that is not true, but that's a statistic that gun-grabbers use. Uh, a former president used it. A lot of well-meaning progressive Christians have used it, and it's just not true. If it were true, of course, we would be singing it from this, uh, shouting it from the highest mountain. But the leading cause of death among children is accidents, not just gun-related accidents. I mean, there are some that do involve handguns, but kids get killed in accidents all the time. Uh, Skiing accidents, car accidents, uh, accidental deaths, slip and fall accidents, uh, things that, you know, they had no control over whatsoever. I mean, there was a a kid at our school when I was the campus pastor at Aliso Vio Christian School. There was a kid who actually swallowed a caterpillar. No, he swallowed an eraser. That was it. And uh, almost choked to death. Those are accidents. I mean, things happen to kids, and more boys are victimized by this than girls because boys typically engage in more risky behavior than girls. So we'll break down the statistics and take a look at all this. And then, of course, let's not forget the fact, too, that the left does not consider abortion to be murder, and the leading cause of the deaths of uh, infants, you know, young preborn children, of course, is abortion. If you have a million kids aborted every year, the, uh, what is it, the... 40,000 kids who die in accidents every year uh, pales in comparison, num- numerically. But of course, the death of any child is horrible. So here, here's, let's take a look at what we know. And then we're going to take a breath and we're going to take a break and we're going to talk about baseball. And the reason we're going to do it is because I want to talk about baseball. I need to talk about something, anything that kind of lightens the mood a little bit. Because, you know, I remember after 9-11 happened, there was a, a performer, a rock and roll guy, who talked about why his band went back on the road after that tragedy. 
so quickly. And he said, look, because we're entertainers, right? Nobody needs us. They want us. They want to have a good time. And I believe that it's important that in a time where people are hurting uh, collectively and grieving, that they should have the opportunity to just laugh a little bit and cry a little bit and do whatever. So um, this hour is going to be an even split between what happened at Covenant School in Nashville yesterday and opening day of baseball coming up because it's a very sentimental game. It's a timeless game. And we're going to get into that. Okay, first, the particulars. Uh, the identity of the shooter has been released. Her name, Audrey Hale, 28 years of age, um, evidently a former student at Covenant School um, who had a history of, uh, well, um, there was a transgender link to this initially. Uh, as a matter of fact, the police uh, reports indicated that they thought this might be a transgender person. The reason is that Audrey Hale uh, has social media profiles like LinkedIn and things like that that uh, used he and him instead of she and her. And so the idea that they, they finally went back and, and identified, even though she had short hair and was dressed in clothing the guys could have worn or whatever, uh, the police uh, identified her as transgender because of the fact that they said that the she had used the expression assigned female at birth. Um, what they also discussed is that it really wasn't clear even though Audrey Hale was a former student of the school uh, she did not have any affiliation to the school she's not related to anybody in the school at the time of the shooting uh, police said that she had made a detailed map of the school and had conducted surveillance of the building before carrying out the massacre uh, the police chief in the case uh, police chief Drake uh, mentioned that uh, that that we have some writings here that we're going over uh, that pertain to this date, the actual incident. We have a map drawn out of how it was all going to take place. Um, he said it was interesting that uh, uh, they did note, uh, NBC News reported that uh, Officer Drake said that there is some belief that there was some resentment held by the shooter for having to go to the school. Uh, Audrey Hale did have two what they call assault-style weapons and a pistol. Um there was a, uh, and basically she shot her way through the front of the building that she entered. Um, at least two of the guns that she had were obtained legally in the Nashville area, police said. Investigators found a sawed-off shotgun, a second shotgun, and another unspecified device during a search of Hale's home after the incident. On the website that she had created for herself and also her LinkedIn page, she described herself as a freelance graphic designer and an artist who, quote, liked binging on video games, watching movies, and playing sports. Um, she wrote, allegedly, on this thing, there's a childlike part of me that loves to go run around the playground. Animals are my second passion. I also enjoy spending time with my cats. Apparently, she played on the basketball team in one of the schools she was at, and uh, she said, basically, she had received messages from Audrey Hale via Instagram, where Hale called herself Aiden as opposed to Audrey. Uh, basically, the post I made here on here about you was basically a suicide note. I'm planning to die today. This is not a joke. This is uh, one of the messages that was given to a girl called Avriana Patton uh, through Instagram messages. Uh, that was given to News Channel 5 in Nashville. You'll probably hear, me, hear about me on the news today after I die. She informed her fellow classmate, former classmate, that she planned to die by suicide. 
And um, she said, I responded to her by saying, wait, you have so much more to live for. I pray that God keeps you and covers you. She then, Ms. Patton said, I tried to comfort her and encourage her. And I subsequently, I called the suicide prevention helpline. I, I shared it with my father and he said, yeah, call. So at 10.08, uh, I shared with them that uh, she was suicidal and I thought something might happen. Around 10.13, she contacted the Davidson County Sheriff's Department office in Nashville and uh, was told to use the office's non-emergency number. So I called the non-emergency number at 10.14 and uh, I was on hold for seven minutes before I talked to somebody but they sent an officer to my house at 3.29 p.m. Um, the attacks took place, obviously, well before that time. And the fact that the Nashville PD did not, uh, this all this is going on. Audrey Hale's friend is reaching out to the Nashville PD about the suicide prevention thing, 10.08, 10.13. Um, by the time... Audrey Hale was actually apprehended, or she was never taken into police custody. You'll see on the video. They confronted her in a building of the school, and by 10.27 a.m., she was pronounced dead at the scene. The victims of the shooting, as we included, three nine-year-old children, uh, Evelyn Dykhouse, William Kinney, and Hallie Scruggs. And Hallie Scruggs was the daughter, and I believe the youngest child, of the pastor of Covenant Church that runs Covenant School. The adults killed were uh, uh, Cynthia Peake, age 61, Mike Hill, age 61. Mike Hill is, uh, was a supervisor for the maintenance at the school. And then Catherine Kuntz, who apparently had been an alumnus of the school and uh, had come back to the school, now she was 60 years of age, she was the headmistress. So she basically was a principal at the school. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we can come to you this morning, this afternoon, I mean, whenever. And uh, sorry, it's afternoon now, and I'm just kind of messed up by this. But thank you, Father, for being a God of comfort. We trust that the six people who lost their lives at this uh, event yesterday are in your care. And Father, we lift up the soul of the seventh, the actual shooter. What rage was in her heart? Um, we, we know that uh, short of a saving faith with you, uh, she's punched her ticket for a torment. And yet, Father, we pray for her family as they watch what's going on here. And we, we know that there's no way that she can ask for forgiveness now. But we pray for your mercy. And we pray for your comfort for those who grieve. And Father, for the confusion that people have in the culture right now about this shooting and all the people who are trying to come up with solutions. Father, help us right now just to stay in this grieving moment for a moment. We know that there will be solutions ultimately, but uh, the problem of evil is only solved by one solution, and that is saving faith in Jesus Christ, your son. Thank you for offering that to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and now we are going to enjoy some time of fellowship. Uh, not too long ago, actually last year during the World Series, I had a chance to talk to Kevin Keating, who's a good friend of mine. Uh, he's a former Navy SEAL, excuse me, he's a graduate of West Point. I don't want to get the two mixed up. And uh, served in the military, special ops. He uh, currently now has a position that affords him the opportunity to travel the world authenticating signatures. And it was a habit of his that he started when he was younger, collecting baseball card signatures that led to him writing the first of two books. And they're called, both called Waiting for a Sign about his uh, journey into the autograph collecting world and what that means 
for him uh, professionally, personally, but also spiritually. On the other side of this break, I want to revisit my conversation with Kevin Keating just because we need a smile right now. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, baseball season is here. It's upon us. I mean, obviously, and I talk about baseball season, and it's really incredible when you see sports played out the way it, I think it meant to be played out. Uh, but today on the Bottom Line Show, we're going to take a look at the baseball world from a slightly different perspective. We're going to take a look at it from the perspective of the fans who like to collect memorabilia and, in particular, autographs. Kevin Keating is with me once again. You might remember Kevin was on the Bottom Line Show a couple of years ago uh, talking about a book he had written called Waiting for a Sign. Uh, Kevin is a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point and also the Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies. Um, he served in the U.S. Army as an infantry officer, became a captain, but he's a lifetime autograph collector, and he is now the principal autograph authenticator for Professional Sports Authenticators, PSA, which is a subsidiary of Collectors Universe, and uh, he's written a second edition of his Waiting for a Sign series. This is Waiting for a Sign Volume 2, highlights and inside stories from a lifetime of collecting baseball autographs. We've got a link for all that and the Waiting for a Sign book dot com up at the bottom line show.com a lengthy introduction but now let's get to the conversation kevin keating welcome back to the bottom line show thanks roger it's great to be here thanks for having me you're looking well you're doing well i know you and i have been uh, communicating about our COVID experiences and it's nice to see you and get a chance to get a little video this time even though we're zooming back and forth when you wrote waiting for a sign the first time you published it yeah i remember you telling me we're going to have a second book because there's just so many stories how has your life been impacted has it changed for the better since the first edition of waiting for a sign came out oh great question um you know after waiting for a sign volume one came out suddenly on facebook i was reconnected with all kinds of people that i hadn't heard from since high school and, and wow. back in the day when i first started collecting autographs because word got out i put the book out mm -hmm. and you know, the, the the first story that I really tell is is the day in eighth grade that I was ditching school to get autographs in New York Mets. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, Bob Green, who was a, a famous columnist for the Sun-Times, had noticed me outside of his window, which you know, he, his office was across the street. So to make a long story short, his curiosity got the best of him. He came outside, he introduced himself, started asking me questions like, what are you doing here, kid? Don't you have school today? And when I told him that I was ditching school with my parents' permission, he pulled out a pen and paper and said, "You mind if I write my column on you in the paper tomorrow?" Hmm. And I said, "Sure. Why? You know, why not?" And uh, needless to say, I, I didn't realize the implications of all that until the next morning when, um, you know, I was called into the vice principal's office, Dale Zangie, <laughs> and uh, he had the paper spread out to page fourteen and. Anyway, uh, he had also he also had the note from my mom sitting next to the paper. And when I got into the office and I saw all that and, he, and his first question was, where were you yesterday, Kevin? I, I knew that, you know, I really had to come clean. So I told him I was in Chicago getting autographs, the New York Mets. And then he started yelling at me, he proceeded to read <laughs> me the riot act, tell me that he'd gotten a call from the principal or the, the uh, superintendent of the school district who suggested that I should be suspended. But as long as he that I promised him I'd never do it again while I was still at Algonquin Middle School, um, he was going to give me a pass, essentially. Mm -hmm. So, of course, that was a promise I readily made. I only had three weeks left of eighth grade. I was moving on to high school, so it wasn't a difficult promise to keep. And uh, as I was getting out of his office as quickly as possible, a different voice came out of him. 
uh, before I could get exit the door, he said, Kevin. And I said, uh, yes, sir. And he said, by the way, did you get Yogi Berra's autograph? Mm. And Berra was managing the Mets. And I said, yes, sir. I got him three times. And he said, you know, Yogi was my favorite catcher when he caught, <laughs> you know, when he was catching for the Yankees. And so, I hear this one coming. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, you know, he was letting me know that, hey, I had to punish you because what you did, I, I can't tolerate in my position. However, I want you to know, I understand, you know, it was kind of like, it was really a seminal moment for me because yeah. up until that time, I was doing something that was very odd at the time, right? Like nobody was doing what I was doing. Right. By the time I got out of high school, I had over 10,000 autographs of baseball hmm. players that I'd gotten through the mail at Wrigley Field or standing in front of the hotel in Chicago where the team stayed. And until that moment when Bob Green kind of legitimatized what I was doing, he made me newsworthy. Um, you know, I'm not sure I would have continued because, I mean, I was, I was at an adolescent stage of adolescence. I, I, my friends kind of thought I was weird for doing what I did. And that, that whole episode kind of legit, legitimatized what I was doing, at least in my own mind. And from that point on, I proceeded without caution. But to get back to the question you asked me, so how did it change my life? Well, I'm in touch with Mr. Zangi. Um, he's 80 something years old and we've become wow. good friends. Uh -huh. uh, yeah. I mean, and now, not only that, but when that happened for, you know, at least a year, people would come to me with a, with a copy of the newspaper and ask me to autograph it. Mm -hmm. And again, right. getting back to your question, I was contacted by a woman named Laura Zerbel Brzezinski and Laura Zerbel was a friend of mine in high school. And I haven't been in touch with her since high school. And she contacts me through Facebook and she says, hey, I read the book. I have something for you. Where can I mail it? And she mailed me the co the original copy of the paper that I had autographed to her back in 1973. Oh, my. Yeah. So oh. that's my copy now. I have it framed up on the wall. So, you know, little things like that like really, really have, have, you know, impacted my life in a very positive way. I'm talking with Kevin Keating today here on The Bottom Line. Kevin is one of the foremost uh, pro sports authenticators of autographs. He's also worked outside that, too, with political figures and whatnot. Uh, his latest book, Waiting for a Sign, Volume 2, highlights and inside stories of a lifetime of collected baseball autographs. is linked up at thebottomlineshow.com, as well as a link for the website, Waiting for a Sign Book. Dot com where you can order that's the place where you can get the hardcover edition of this book um you've got a forward in here i have to ask you this i know I, we could go deep and long for hours about every one of the uh, profiles you have in this book uh, volume two but you have the forward by paul bird and as a lifelong long-suffering angels fan who knew that paul bird was the key to us possibly getting to the world series in 2005 uh, talk about your friendship with him his autograph how did you guys connect Oh, man, Paul Bird is like the greatest human being of all time. You know, he wrote a book, Free Bird, which is a story about him as a, you know, a born again Christian mm -hmm. professional athlete and the different challenges that they faced. But I met Paul when he was a rookie um, pitching for the Mets in 1996, I believe it was. And I met him through my good friend, Jerry DePoto, who was his teammate. And Birdie and I just became close friends. And we've we, you know, our friendship has stayed strong throughout the years. When Paul pitched, uh, he pitched in the playoffs against the Yankees, um, one game against Randy Johnson, and he called me up and he said, "Hey, you know, would you like to go to the game? I'd, I'd like you to sit with my dad." Um, and so, he, you know, he he laid on tickets, and I flew from Indiana. I was in Indiana at the time. Flew to Yankee Stadium and watched him pitch. And the game 
got called because of rain, rain at like, uh, I think the sixth inning. Mm. But um, yeah, I've had a lot of really wonderful experiences with Paul. And um, in fact, Paul helped me get my agent for the book. You know, when I was ready to get nice. it published, he said, uh, let me know and I'll put you in touch with my my agent. And, and that's what happened. And then his agent put me in touch with um, Greg you know, who became, you know, my agent, Greg Johnson. Right. And yeah. So, I mean, Paul's done so many wonderful things for me over the years and my family. And he's, you know, he's uncle Paul to the kids. Um, he's stayed with us when he's been in town and, you know, there's a chapter about him in the book in volume two, and it's really a wonderful chapter. Um, we had gone to the Indians were in town to play the nationals. And uh, we went to, uh, to Walter Reed, um, medical, you know, medical facility to visit wounded soldiers. And what mm. happened that day um, was really extraordinary. And it actually made national news that night. I won't give the whole chapter away, but, um, but yeah, it was really a, a, just a really incredibly moving and very profound experience what happened that day. And then what played out that night, because um, we, we visited a number of soldiers with, with varying degrees of injury. You know, one soldier had lost, like a leg and an arm and part of a hand. And, you know, it was everything from that to another one was in just in a coma. And we really were only able to visit his family who was there with him. But then the last guy that we saw, he'd been shot in the temple. Hmm. And, and at the same time, this guy had all of his wits about him. And we were in the room. It was me, Eric Wedge, Paul Bird, um, uh, Martinez, Victor Martinez, CC Sabathia yeah, what and you, uh, and the third baseman um, Casey Blake mm -hmm. and so we're all in the room and this soldier happened to be from Ohio so he was a huge Indians fan and for him to have these guys in the room visiting him he was beside himself I mean he really was and one of them went to to, to shake his hand and uh, and he said uh, and he said man you know it's such a pleasure to meet you and and the, and the soldier replied it was a marine actually and he said you know uh, you're going to win tonight because you're shaking hands with the luckiest luckiest man on the face of the earth basically wow. we played Lou Gehrig's you know Lou Gehrig's sure. message sure. and that night the Indians were down three to one going into the bottom of the ninth and um, Victor Martinez had a home run Casey Blake made the final out Paul Bird pitched you know six innings in the game like all of them who were in the room except for Sabathia, who didn't play that night, they all had some major role in the Indians come from behind victory. And, and it was like this guy willed, willed the victory to the Indians. It was really extraordinary. I mean, I go into much greater detail, you know, about it, actually how it played out, but it was really amazing. And Paul and I have talked about that many, many times. Hmm. Kevin Keating is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Can you tell I'm eating up these stories, and I hope you are too. His brand new book is called Waiting for a Sign, Volume 2. We'll have a link for Volume 2 and Volume 1 up at thebottomlineshow.com. Highlights and inside stories from a lifetime of collecting baseball autographs. More to come in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years? 
After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Um, we are listening to a conversation that I had actually before the World Series started with Kevin Keating, the author of the book, Waiting for a Sign. And uh, with baseball's regular season set to begin in a couple of days, in light of the aftermath of yesterday's shooting at Covenant School in Nashville, uh, I remember the words of American missionary Andrew Brunson, who when he was in solitary confinement for years and he said he didn't feel like God was hearing his prayers, he worshiped him anyway. And he made himself, he said, I'd stand in my cell, I'd sing, I'd dance five minutes a day, if that's all I had the physical strength for. But I will praise him. And I, he did, and he said that really sustained his faith through that tough time. So today we are rejoicing right now. Uh, not rejoicing, of course, because of the death, but we are praising God anyway. And one of the best ways I know is through the enjoyment of a very sentimental and emotional game called baseball. So with opening day a couple days away, we're revisiting my conversation with Kevin Keating, the author of The Autograph Hound and Autograph Authenticator and writer of the book uh, Waiting for a Sign and Waiting for a Sign 2. The second volume we have three copies of right now and we're giving them away today. If you need to smile, I encourage you to give us a call. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, it's for a copy of Kevin Keating's book, Waiting for a Sign 2, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. And if you just want to weep a little bit with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn because of what happened in Nashville, uh, you can do that too. My second half of my conversation with Kevin Keating is coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Kevin Keating is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. His brand new book is called Waiting for a Sign, Volume 2, Highlights and Inside Stories from a Lifetime of Collecting Baseball Autographs. You have a chapter on George Brett, and I, of course, you probably get asked this question a lot, Kevin Keating, but I'll ask you anyway. Did you send him a rag with pine tar on it? Or do I, what, what did you send George looking for you know, in terms of getting his autograph? Were you on one-to-one -one basis by then? Or were you still kind of doing the, uh, I'm going to send you something and see if you'll sign it and send it back? Yeah, no. Um, you know, I really got to meet George through Chuck Connors. And there's a there's a oh, chapter in chapter there. on him too. Yeah. yeah, there's a chapter in there about Chuck Connors, who was like a second father to me. Mm. And and uh, I was in Chuck's room in Kansas City. We had just done a, sh a signing that day. And I was in Chuck's room and we had ordered room service. We were eating dinner and the phone rang and we were going to go to the game the next day to the Royals game. And this was, I think, 1991, as I recall. And um, the phone rings and Chuck's, Chuck was grabbing a bite of a burger or something. He said, would you mind getting that cab? I said, sure. So I answered the phone. And I'm like, hello? And, I, and the other voice goes, uh, Hey, Chuck, Chuckaroo, Chuckarooney, Chuck, Chuck, Chuck. <laughs> and I'm like, excuse me, it's not Chuck. This is Kevin Keating. Who's this? And he just goes, it's George Brett. Who the hell is Kevin Keating? <laughs> and I was like, oh, excuse uh, me, George. Hold on a second. Chuck's right here. I mean, he wasn't uh, expecting to hear anybody except Chuck, right? So he thought he had the wrong room. Uh -huh. But anyway, the next day we had all, you know, we had uh, 
what is all access passes at the game that Georgia left us. Yeah. And we didn't need any passes as this turned out because everywhere we went, Chuck Connors was very recognizable, six sure. foot six. Everybody who saw Chuck walk in, like it was, no one was going to. They stop saw the rifleman. And they said, "Let's get this guy seats. Give him good seats." Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So anyway, it was wonderful. That was the first time I was in a major league clubhouse before a game, and uh, and I got to know George that day through Chuck, and and you know George and I met up many many times after that. Eventually became good friends. Um, I kind of lost touch with George at this particular time. I haven't talked to him in a long time, but for many years we were we, we were in constant contact. Great guy. And about, about the pine tar, I asked him, of course, I asked him about the pine Everyone tar. does, yeah. Yeah. And my question to him was was this, though. I, I always wondered, why the heck did he get pine tar all the way up there, right? Like, mm -hmm. why would you get pine tar up there? You don't need it up there. You only need it down here. And I asked him, I said, how did it get up there? Like, why did you apply it up there? He goes, I didn't apply it up there. He said, it's a resin. He said, so I just used a lot of it. And eventually, you know, it would all it all gets stuck together. And then as you're squeezing it, it migrates up the back. Mm, and he okay. said, so it eventually migrated that far. And he goes, I wasn't paying attention to it. Sure. So, you know, but I thought that was fascinating because that was something I had always wondered. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Keating's new book, Waiting for a Sign, Volume 2, highlights and inside stories from a lifetime of collecting baseball autographs. It's up at the bottom line show.com. Um, Buck O'Neill. Talk talk about this one because this one got uh, this was moving. I mean, what he said, but also who he is and what he represents. How did you meet Buck O'Neill? Well, I met Buck a bunch of different times, and um, one time I had dinner with him. Uh, I was with uh, my wife, who I I was just dating at the time, you know, but now my wife, and we had dinner with Buck. And you know, every time I saw Buck, whatever the circumstances were, he was so engaging, so warm, so kind. He was just like he appeared on um, on Ken Burns's baseball, mm -hmm. which actually gave him, you know, a national presence. Um, and he so well represented the Negro Leagues and and so many of those greats who had predeceased him, right? And you know, the 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 chapter really goes to the last time that I saw Buck, which was a few months before he died. And in two thousand, well, it was early two thousands. The Baseball Hall of Fame decided to alter how they were doing the veterans committee and how they were considering Negro leaguers for induction to the hall of fame. And again, to make a long story short in 06, they decided to vote for the final time on the Negro leagues. Now that, that since was changed recently, but I'll get to that in a second. So in 06, um, they, they used a whole new set of standards and they ended up voting on 37 finalists and they did individual votes and you needed 75% of the votes. I think there were 16 voters, and so the story goes, Buck got 11 votes right. and 11 votes. Uh, he was one vote short of getting inducted. And they put 17 of the 36 into the Hall of Fame. All 17 Negro leaguers um, were deceased at that time. And the president of the Hall of Fame, Dale Petrosky, called up Buck O'Neill and he said, Buck, I know this is tough. You know, you didn't get in yourself, but no one can represent the voices of the 17 better than you. Would you mind giving a speech Hmm. to welcome the 17 into the Hall of Fame. You yeah. will be their representative. And that's what he did. And the day that he gave that speech, which was a beautiful speech, and I put it in the book, in the chapter, you know, verbatim, uh, I, I actually went into the, I was staying at the Otisaga as a guest of the Hall of Fame. Uh, and that's the hotel that all the Hall of Famers stay at. And Buck, of course, was a guest there too. And I walked into the lobby the morning of the speech as, as the people were getting ready to, 
go out to uh, the induction ceremony. And Buck was sitting by himself. And I went up to him and I said, hey, Buck, how you doing today? And I tapped him on the knee and he turned to me and he said, I'm a bit tired. And, uh, you know, he, he had this wistful look in his eye. He wasn't the normal effusive Buck O'Neill that I'd always known with that big smile. And we chatted a little bit, nothing in particular. Um, and then he went out, you know, he, we both went out. And I sat in the audience. Of course, he was up on the stage. He gave that beautiful speech. And you wouldn't have known for a second, you know, that he was sad that he wasn't part of the inductees that day because right. he gave such a wonderful speech on behalf of those who got in. And three months later, he was gone. You know, mm -hmm. he passed away in October. And of course, they revamped the rules again recently and buck o'neill was just inducted right you know uh this in the last year which is wonderful unfortunately he wasn't here to see it yeah and such a great quote you know from him with regarding to you you don't love people because you like them but because god loves them you yes know, I mean, to, to share right. that I mean, coming from his testimony that's just so powerful and uh and that's just a sam a smattering Ke uh kevin keating our time's gone by much too quickly we have to do this again maybe after the world series waiting for a signed volume two highlights and inside stories from a lifetime of collecting baseball autographs we got a link to the book up at the bottom line show.com it's waiting for a signed book.com that's where you can buy the hardcover edition of this book so don't go to your traditional you know amazon or whatever places because right now the best place to get it is waiting for a signed book.com. Uh, Kevin, always a pleasure. We're going to do this again soon, I promise. But thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line for now. Thanks, Roger. It's great to see you. Take care. And of course, the video for that conversation up at uh, myhopenow.com. And that was my discussion with Kevin Keating, the author of the book, Waiting for a Sign 2. Uh, we had that chance to record that conversation right before the World Series last fall. And of course, with baseball opening up this Thursday night, um, I just... I, I mentioned this at the start of the program. I wanted to put into practice something that I have recently adopted, and that is just a giving praise to God when you don't feel like it, when when the circumstances aren't great. It was Andrew Brunson, the American missionary pastor who was in prison in Iran for many years and spent a couple of years, I believe, in solitary confinement in the even prison in uh, Tehran, which is one of the most notorious and worst prisons around. And he said there were times when you could say I was praying and it didn't seem like God was answering my prayers because I was praying to be released. And he said, I just made it a point to, I will praise God in the middle of awful circumstances. And he said, I made myself offer praises to God. I made myself sing before the Lord. I made myself dance before the Lord. He says, man, I'm a lousy dancer. But I was thinking about it today in light of what happened in Nashville at the Covenant School yesterday and not wanting to, I mean, I did not have a song of praise on my lips. And I thought, wait, we have to tell this story, obviously. And I've spent a lot of days, if you watch the My Hope Now video, <laughs> myhopenow.com, this is not one of my better on-camera days. But we do need to take time to praise God. And so the whole program isn't going to be maudlin and gloom and doom. We're going to hear some tough stories of people who have uh, given, uh, paid the ultimate price. We're going to hear of one pastor, especially in Southern California, who's got some great news to share about his congregation uh, with Easter coming up. And in the case of Kevin Keating, uh, we've got three copies of Kevin's book to give away. And I encourage you, if you're not a baseball fan, you're going to love this book because of the autograph story and the way he went about it. But if you are a baseball fan or you know someone, this is a book you want. And we have three copies to give away right now. Again, the book is called Waiting for a Sign. This is volume two from Kevin Keating. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 
That is the number to get you through to the bottom line show. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, just as a heads up and a warning, we have the video of the body cam of uh, Nashville police officer, Michael Colazzo. He was the guy who was running point on the uh, emergency uh, takedown of the school shooter, Audrey Hale, yesterday. And his squad of about four or five police officers are being praised and lauded, of course, for the miraculous work that they did in apprehending this young woman. And when she returned fire, I mean, it's fairly well documented now that she had uh, texted to friends and messaged them through social media that she was planning this attack for many, many months. And her desire, the end game, was that she would lose her life, that she would be killed in, uh, I think they call it suicide by cop. Um, where you put yourself in a situation where gunfire is exchanged and you're hoping that the police officer hits you with a bullet. On the other side of this break, uh, we're going to listen to some of the audio of these guys entering the Covenant School. And so I just want to warn you, if you don't want to hear gunfire, uh, there's no profanity in it that I know of. Um, It's a clip that I got from David J. Harris off of uh, Instagram. And they literally, the Nashville Police Department released the body cam video and Officer Colazzo, even though he's kind of running point on this, he's actually behind the two or three other guys who are going ahead before he goes in to basically give us body cam footage of what it takes to take down somebody who's emotionally unstable. And of course, they talk about the the main emphasis, first and foremost, is to neutralize the situation. I don't think they're going in shoot to kill. Some police officers probably do. Uh, There was concern initially that this woman, the shooter, wouldn't have any sort of protection on and they didn't want to open fire on somebody who didn't have that kind of protection. But apparently she did have a vest of some sort and um, their shooters are shoot to kill if they need to. So we're going to hear that audio on the other side of this break and just offer a few reflections about what happened yesterday, the media reaction to it today, and how we as Christians can get the story straight so that we know how to pray, how to step up. And there's some comments that are being attributed on social media to Republican legislators and things like that that I don't think are fair. They're taking things out of context because everybody wants to run to their own hill and say, see, I won. I won because I showed what a bad person you are. We don't do any favors to anybody if we can't do discernment and analysis, balance, and clarity to get us there. So we're going to do that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Stephanie Cover. She knows the other side. 
Stephanie Cover, the only personal injury attorney I'll ever recommend for such a time as this, needing somebody who has the strong faith and knows God's word and knows the Lord personally, but also understands the ever-changing personal injury laws. You won't find someone with her experience either side of the equation to serve you better than Stephanie Cover. Go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Cover Law for more information. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to The Bottom Line Show. We have three copies of Kevin Keating's outstanding book called Waiting for a Sign 2 about his collection of signatures and how God led him into a ministry of literally being named one of the most, the foremost authorities on signature authentication. There was one day where he and I were messaging back and forth and he said, sorry, I'm busy right now. I'm trying to verify a signature on Saddam Hussein. Uh, it's amazing. But you know, this all started with a 10 year old kid sending self-addressed stamped envelopes to baseball players saying, can I have your autograph? So you never know where God's going to lead you. But on a day like today, when we're still kind of recovering from the Covenant Christian School shootings in Nashville, uh, I thought it would be appropriate for us since baseball season starts a couple of days from now. One of the places that I have found solace in my relationship with the Lord is in the game of baseball. And uh, <laughs> so I I think thank you selfishly for letting me revisit that conversation because I need to worship. I don't know why this one's hitting me harder, maybe because it's at a Christian school. As I watched the footage of them going through, I thought of my time as an interim campus pastor at Elisa Vieira Christian School and thought, oh my goodness, that could be Building B in our campus. I mean, with something like this happening. But to set the stage, when Audrey Hale went to the school, she'd spent months planning this out. She'd written out a very detailed description of what she was going to do. Apparently, she was a former student there. On social media, she used the name Aiden and identify as he, him. But to our knowledge, this was a guy who was a guy who was suffering, a woman who was suffering from gender dysphoria who uh, was identifying as male. She had a couple of weapons that were purchased legally, uh, had a handgun, and um, uh, had reached out to a friend on her way to the campus and said, I'm, today's the day I'm going to commit suicide. And uh, she meant suicide by cop. And the friend reached out to the Nashville PD office for suicide prevention, and they sent someone to her house five hours later. That, that's a whole different conversation. But the Nashville PD released the body cam footage. Uh, there were two officers in particular who were being credited with uh, being the ones who get this set up. Officer Rex Engelbert Bert, rather, uh, was the first one on the scene. In some of the video that we see initially, he's being uh, consulted by one of the teachers as he's getting his gear together. And then it was Nashville police officer Michael Colazzo who took the body cam video that shows them going through. So we're going to play the audio and I'll try to do my best play by play as they come into the school looking for the shooter, trying to, as they put it, neutralize the situation. Okay, Joel, go ahead. Let's roll the tape. There you go, second floor. Now you hear the sirens, it's a two-story building. They put on the alert. The students are being escorted out into buses. They're being taken to Covenant Church. Where did they go in? It's a two-story building, so they had to go up the first floor to the second floor. And that door was locked, they head back down. And they're going around. Now as they come around, they check a bathroom. Rifle first, blue, go. Go, 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 go. Go. That's the officer in Colazzo's voice that you hear there. Move! Move! I'm going through the hallways, guys. Checking classrooms. Hold on. Check, check. Hey, 
There's a bathroom. They looked in there. They didn't see anyone in there. They're checking rooms left and right. They're working the way toward a common area. It's upstairs. Hit the stairs. Go. Yeah, they're go going stairs. back up go the stairs. stairs. Go. 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 Still checking classrooms. They finally get to the end of the hallway. Keep pushing. Go. You're back to your gunfire. Shots fired. Shots fired. Shots fired. Move. That's the first encounter with the shooter. Right, right, right. Hmm. Push it LPVO. Push it LPVO. Go right. Move, move. Watch out, watch out. Move. Stop moving. Stop moving. That's Officer Colazzo instructing left. the shooter. Suspect down, suspect down. Hey, hold the air. In two minutes and 11 seconds, Officer Colazzo, Officer Engelbert, and the other, it looks like about a half dozen total, members of the Nashville Police Department were able to enter the school, search multiple classrooms, finally head upstairs in the building where they were. And I'm not able to tell if that was one of many buildings on the campus or that may have been the entire school. The uh, population of the school student body is under 200. And then you heard the fire, the shots fired, and you could hear the shots in the distance and then the shots up close. And, um, when the gun woman in this case was determined <clears throat> to not come out alive, she put herself in a situation where, uh, she wasn't going to su survive this attack. And you can hear the urgency, obviously with the police officers, Nashville PD are keeping, uh, officer Colazzo and officer Engelbert, uh, pretty much on, hold right now. They're not giving interviews to the press as far as we know as of airtime here. Um, your lead officer who's driving this force is 31 years of age. He spent four years in the Marine Corps right out of high school and then nine years as a police officer. The officer who is credited with stopping the shooter initially is 27 years of age and he has four years on the force. Now, on the other side of this break, I want to break down a couple of things that I see happening in the conversation with regard to this uh, shooting and that I think are important for us in the body of Christ to understand. So let's take a quick break. Remember, we're still giving away copies of Kevin Keating's book, waiting for a sign to 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll have more of this commentary in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You know, I think about these children and how precious they are. And one of these statistics that's being shared right now in the media is that gun violence, quote unquote, is the number one cause of death for among children in America. And that's not true. According to the CDC, 30% of children who wind up dying before the age of 18 do so as a result of an accident, like in a car crash or maybe a ski crash or something like that. But the number of kids who die in accidents pales in comparison to the number of kids who die in abortions every year. 
And our friends at Preborn are doing something about that. They are providing free ultrasounds for any woman who comes into a preborn clinic. And your tax deductible donations right now, a $28 donation, will provide the entire treatment, the pregnancy test, the ultrasound, complete with technicians, pictures in 4D of the baby in the womb, and then counsel as to what to do next. Do you place the child up for adoption? Do you raise the child on your own? 85% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound image wind up choosing life for their child. The leading cause of death in America right now of children is abortion, but your gift to preborn can stop that bleeding. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We just heard the dramatic audio, and the video is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Thanks to David J. Harris on Instagram for putting it up. It's the body cam video from Nashville Police Officer Michael Colazzo. Uh, he was running point and driving that team of about five Nashville police officers who arrived on the scene within minutes of being contacted. And within two minutes and 11 seconds, they had neutralized the situation. Now compare that to Uvalde, Texas last year, where police officers were instructed, there were over 40 armed officers, they were instructed to wait outside until someone would open the door for them. Every time I heard him say, that door's locked and I'd see them bust open another one, I think, where were these guys in Uvalde? How about Parkland in, in Florida? Remember, that's where we got the, you know, uh, saving our lives type of David Hogg and all those people. Well, th there was this armed security guard on campus who got up and walked away rather than try to stop the shooter. But there's a congressman from Tennessee. Of course, the GOP in Tennessee is just getting skewered by left-wing media saying, you don't care about kids. You care more about guns than kids. And you're going to see that meme, especially a lot with progressive Christians. If you care more about guns than you care about kids, there's something wrong with you. Well, here's the thing. No one cares about guns more than kids. I'm sure there are some people who care about their kids and their guns equally. But the reality is, when people start talking about hate crimes, already the transgender community is coming out saying, this poor Audrey Hale is really Aiden and he's a he, and if he'd gotten gender-affirming care, he wouldn't have shot at the school. And I don't believe that. But there's a big difference that we have to differentiate between. I think we can do it in a minute and a half. We have to differentiate between the difference of hate and evil. The world is obsessed with getting rid of hate, eliminating hate. Hate is bad, hate, 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 he's bad. Until you point out that what they're saying is they hate the fact that there is hate in the world. The bigger issue is evil. Republican congressman has been tweeted around, people are saying, see, he says, we're never gonna fix this problem. I'm not gonna fix this problem. We're not gonna do anything. What he said was, look, as long as there's evil in the world, you're never going to solve this problem. You can pass all the laws you want. Law-abiding citizens will abide by them, but criminals will find a way around them. That's the way the evil in the human heart works. So what about hate? Do you hate hate? I hate the things that God hates. I don't want to eliminate hate. I hate children being killed. I hate children being abused. I hate spouses being abused. I hate people being misled by, by charlatan preachers who steal all their money from them and tell them that God has a better plan for their life. I hate all of that. I know you do too. I hate abortion. There are a lot of things in life I hate. I don't want to eliminate godly hate. But when it comes to evil, See, that's the part of the God-shaped vacuum, as some people describe it, God's natural law written on your heart, that wants justice. 
We want what's right. We want righteousness. When you confuse hate for evil, you're fighting the wrong enemy. If you think that what you call hate, which actually turns out to be evil, is people who disagree with you or people who make you feel uncomfortable, that's not the issue. Evil's way bigger than your feelings and mine. Evil leads to sin, which leads to death, which is what we're celebrating here at Easter is Jesus conquering sin and death. Evil was defeated on the cross by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and by his blood. His crucified body showed the end of evil. However, evil's still in the world until Jesus comes back to rule and reign. But those of us who have been washed in the blood of the lamb have the evil in our hearts being sanctified out. Our sins are forgiven. We can walk in newness of life. And now the people are walking around with that evil stink on them saying, well, you must be a hater because you don't agree with me. We're saying, no, 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 that's not the case. There will be people who get guns and shoot people and do terrible things with them until Jesus comes back. The question is not how do we eliminate the hate, it's how do we stand up to evil? These Nashville police officers yesterday stood up to evil. We in the body of Christ can stand up to evil. It may cause us an injury, it may even cost us our own lives. But ultimately, because we know who the truth is, we can stand up to the lies of evil because Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sin and my sin on the cross. That is the good news, and that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Rabbi Schneider, Discovering Jewish Jesus, is coming up next. For those who remain on the network, I want to take a look at a couple of guys who willingly gave up their lives. They didn't plan on it, but that's what wound up happening. As Good Samaritans trying to rescue people who've been victimized by all the snow that's been happening in the Southern California mountains. We'll take a look at that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show, or welcome to The Bottom Line Show, depending on how you are partaking this program on terrestrial radio. I'm Roger Marsh, your tour guide for this Super Tuesday, and uh, we've got a couple of uh, encouraging announcements to make today and all throughout the week, of course, as we are gearing up for a big special event coming up this weekend at the uh, Ponda Center and also in San Diego, Balboa Park. Um, more on that in just a moment, but first, though, we want to bring to your attention uh, that you might not have heard this story in the mainstream news and uh, the legacy media, as it were. But it happened here in Southern California, and it happened out at the uh, Hammett Ryan Airport uh, last Friday, about 12.40 in the afternoon. I uh, want to make special note of a couple of guys who wound up paying the ultimate price for trying to help people out. 61-year-old Mark Carter and 62-year-old Dennis Foster were aboard a, a helicopter uh, that had been making trips to... Uh, uh, the San Bernardino Mountains, you know, as, as we've had record rain and snow and things of that nature going on there. Um, unfortunately, uh, they'd been making so many trips bringing medical supplies to residents who were snowbound. And um, unfortunately, um, as they were uh, taking off, about 10 miles north of the Hemet Ryan Airport, according to the Riverside County Fire and Sheriff's Department, uh, their turbine helicopter crashed. It was about 12.40 in the afternoon, uh, short of the airport, about 10 miles north at Chastity and Pulsar View Roads. And uh, basically, you know, this is these are guys who are avid outdoorsmen. Um, it was not part of the Angel Flight West uh, that uh, has been going on, though uh, Carter had been a volunteer, was a volunteer pilot for Angel Flight West. Um, that Angel Flight West has been helping people with non-emergency medical treatment <clears throat> he, they've done about 70 different flights since 2020 for that 
but once the snow started setting in and the snow in the San Bernardino Mountains and all all across the state, but especially uh, here in Southland, um, they're they're talking about the local mountain ranges having so much snow. And of course, they have the snow machines and everything as well. And with the temperatures being what they are, um, that they uh, are going to have a snow season that's going to go till July. You know, I mean, it's just, it's going to be incredible to see how much of that stuff is uh, is happening. Um, the chopper that they were flying in was a seven-seat Bell 407. It's used for short-haul transportation, and uh, it's also something that uh, is used in law enforcement, utility operations, and things like that. The NTSB is going to continue their uh, their investigation along with the FAA, and they're going to find out exactly what happened. But um, our thoughts and prayers with the families of uh, these two men who paid the ultimate price trying to help other people, 61-year-old Mark Carter and 62-year-old Dennis Foster, who uh, lost their lives this past Friday around 12.40 p.m. just outside of the airport, Hemet Ryan Airport in uh, the Temecula area. Hey, let's take a quick break. And uh, I know we're usually we kind of jump right into you know, topics and uh, get a chance to air them out a little bit. But uh, on the other side of this break, I want to introduce you to a pastor um, who has got a special outreach going on here at Easter time. And it's a great opportunity for us in the body of Christ to uh, to see what the church is up to, what the church is all about, especially here locally. Uh, pastor Steve Zyszewski is going to join me from Orange Coast Christian Church, uh, Orange Coast Community Church, uh, which is, it's funny, Orange Coast, but it's right smack dab in the middle of Orange County. Uh, OCCC.church is the number, to, or the where you reach them online. We're going to talk about what's happening with the church, and uh, Pastor Rick has just got such a great enthusiasm for this uh, congregation, a uh, local guy from Biola University and Talbot Seminary, and uh, um, just a wonderful man to be around, very, very encouraging, very inviting. So Pastor Rick Krzyzewski is going to join me coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, special guest joining me in studio today here on The Bottom Line, Pastor Rick, I'm going to make sure I get your last name properly, Pastor Rick Zyszewski. That's correct. Okay, Pastor of Orange Coast Community Church. Welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you very much. Tell us about the church itself, because, I mean, every pastor has a story, and of course, this is your flock. This yes. is your congregation. These are your people. Correct. So, um, but for those who are listening and saying, I've never heard of this church before, mm. give us kind of give us a 60-second overview. It's a wonderful church. We like to use a tagline, it's the church that love and laughter is building. Okay. okay. If you like to feel love and you like to laugh, you'll fit right in in our church. It's based on biblical principles. We have Bible studies like six nights a week there, so we're heavy into the scriptures, but we do believe in the joy of Christianity. Mm. So we think we have a good balance between uh, what is right, what is truth, and at the same time, what is tenderness and love. 
And uh, it's a place where everyone, regardless of their background or sins or whatever, have been accepted, loved, and cared for in the congregation. And I, I really I, I appreciate you saying that because there's been a lot of talk in the church about the acceptance part. You know, mm. they, everybody's welcome, everybody's accepted. And I don't get the sense at all that you're saying, hey, bring all your baggage here and we'll just play with your baggage. No. You know, it's, but it's quite the opposite, saying, hey, look, the reason you can experience the kind of love and laughter and forgiveness is because there is freedom in saying— this is who I am, just as I am, without one plea of Lamb of God, I come. Right? Exactly. I mean, that's where you are. You know, that's the transforming right. Love. When, did the, when did the gospel make sense to you? When did the Holy Spirit speak to you, Pastor Ray? It was June of 1965. Oh, okay. And um, I was 12 years old, mm-hmm. and our youth pastor had given an invitation talking about the rapture. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is great. I want to go up. I don't want to miss it. And so I made the decision for the Lord. Uh, it's interesting. I started surfing in 1965. Okay. And I became a Christian in 1965. So that was the month and year I fell in love with the board and the Lord. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been like passionately that. pursuing both ever since. I love that. I love that. You know, and it's quite, when you think about it, and this is something I'm kind of averse to water. I mean, I'm not afraid of it. I just don't enjoy it all that much. I mean, in terms of, I remember that my personal story is my mom's family had a little beach bungalow on 34th Street. In New yes, York. yes. And so we would go down every summer and kind of hang out there. And I'll never forget going out, you know, the lifeguard stations are numbered. Right? Yes. And so one time I thought, oh, I'm I could handle this. I had a surf rider. Remember those big old things? Yes, like I remember those. A, uh-huh. You know, World War II aircraft carrier. <laughs> and I was out there, and I was on one kind of paddling around, and I decided to go back home, and I came back up on the shore, and I was at 21st Street. Whoa. And all of a sudden, I went, how did I Where get so far? Right, yes. because I thought, I went out, I'm doing the waves, I'm oh. coming back. But I realized that that's kind of, I mean, God in our lifetime. Yes. You know, says, speaks in and says, I think he uses those types of things like surfing. And, he does. Know, that type of thing and, and nautical things. Talk about how, I mean, it's foundational for you to be 12 years of age right. and changing. Talk about how God spurred you on, because just because you became a Christian didn't necessarily mean you were going to stamp your ticket for a seminary. No. Uh, for the first uh years, junior high and high school, my commitment to the church was pretty great, but I wasn't passionate about my love for the Lord. It wasn't until 1969, this is when the Jesus movement began right. in Calvary right. Chapel, that I, I fell in love with people who were really excited about the Lord. And it was in December of 69 where I made a full commitment, making a Lord of my life. And that's when things began to change. Mm-hmm. It was right in the middle of the, uh, the Calvary Chapel movement. I was involved in a Baptist church, so I had one foot there. And then on Sunday nights, had the other foot in um, Calvary Chapel, where Chuck Smith was teaching in the old chapel there. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what got me going in the right direction. And I sensed that God was calling me in some way, in some shape or form, to the ministry, even then. Pastor Rick Krzyzewski is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. You'll have to go to our website at thebottomlineshow.com to find out how to spell his (laughs) last name. Uh, But I I love the fact, lots of consonants, a couple of Zs, that haven't heard anything. Um, He's pastor at Orange Coast Community Church, and we've got OC. Church, dot church is the website, yes. and we've got that up at thebottomlineshow.com. The, the move into ministry, uh, you know, it's not for everyone, and you've been with OCCC now for nearly three decades. Right, 31 right. years, 31, actually. Okay, 31 so years, 30. yeah. Talk about what you've seen at the church. I mean, we all know 
anecdotally what's happened in our own world in this culture over the past 30 years. Right. You've seen it from the ringside seat of the pulpit of the church that's right across the street from Angel Stadium. Mm. I mean, that's right across the street or direct, I mean, directly across the freeway. The yes, freeway, okay. That's right. I tell go. people you had a really great arm. Yeah. You could hit, uh, from our church, you could hit Angel Stadium. <laughs> and you could get a contract with yes. Artie Marino at the same time. <laughs> Most if definitely. Yeah, They'd sign you on. I'm sure. A million dollar contract. Yeah. What's it, so what's it been like from when the Angels were really bad just after they had their hearts broken <laughs> in 86 to when you took over to getting the 2002 fantastic run to sign yeah. Two of the greatest players in our generation, and they still can't get a winning record. I know. God but, bless them. But spiritually, I mean, the more important thing. Yes. Uh, spiritually, what, what have you seen? How's the church adapted, adjusted, stayed the same? What, what's the pastor life been like? I think like all churches, we have uh, lost people and gained them. But the interesting thing is, is that I've been there 31 years, and this, the flavor of the congregation has never changed. Mm. Even though we've had uh, people grow older die, go to be with the Lord, bring in new people, the flavor remains the same. And when Mm. people come in for the first time, they go, there's something about this church that is drawing me. Mm -hmm. I knew within just a matter of minutes of walking in, this is going to be my home. There's Mm. a sense of acceptance, a sense of family. And like I mentioned a moment ago, laughter and love are, are two of the things that really drive the church. And so it just fits so well with my personality, and it fits with the people who come to our congregation. Not everyone like that likes that. Um, some people like larger congregations. They want to feel a bit more distant. They want to come in, kind of punch in their time card, as it sure. were, and yeah. then walk out. And that's, that's okay for them. But this is a place where people, as it were, let their hair down and say, this is what I'm going through. This mm-hmm. is what I'm struggling with. These are my strengths, my weaknesses. How could we fit together as a family. Talk about the small groups that you have at Orange Coast Community Church, because I see more and more need for, as we've been more isolated, people are in oh, their yes. own, you know, their their own little tribes, if you will, their own little pods. And this is before the pandemic, but right. then when people had to, do, you know, do that, now that we're coming back out of that and more people are getting together, I mean, two years ago, you and I wouldn't be in the studio together because That's right. I mean, now we are shut down. and getting to know each other. How has that impacted church life at OCCC? Are you talking about the uh, pandemic affecting it? Well, the, the the pandemic, but then also in terms of the small group world, the, you know, different ministries that you have at the church, the different things, how you've adjusted and been able to serve and meet the needs of people who are now kind of coming out a little shell shock, like, can I go to church? You know, can yes. I be out with other people? Uh, do we shake hands? Can we <laughs> hug at church? Because you know, I would imagine you're a hugger and a handshaker. I am. And the yeah. church is like that. Good. And uh, we were radical in the sense that we opened as soon as we possibly could. Good for you. We talked to different um, pastors and we first started with some outdoor services, slowly moved indoors. Mm-hmm. And the hardest thing was people not touching each other. Right. Because they're, right. they were accustomed to doing that. So we started making smaller groups in the church, uh, trying to follow the protocol. Mm -hmm. and uh, kept up with that afterwards because people liked that a lot. In fact, that was the time in which we started a Saturday night service. And uh, it's not a large group, but I enjoy it almost as much as Sunday morning Mm -hmm. because even though it's a preaching service, we set it up in the venue that people could interject, ask questions, give their input. And so there's a free-flowing conversation that's going there. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I also teach on Wednesday nights with the same kind of setup. Mm -hmm. And then we have elders who teach on Tuesday nights, uh, elders who teach on Thursday and on Friday nights. We have a Saturday morning uh, ladies' Bible study. And so every night of the week or every day of the week, except for Monday, there's something happening in the church, some type of connection. 
I love that. I'm talking with Pastor Rick Krzyzewski today here on The Bottom Line, Senior Pastor at Orange Coast Community Church at OCCC.Church is where you find them online, and we've got that link up at thebottomlineshow.com. I love the fact that there's something going on every week. A, a dear friend of mine, we've been in pastoral ministry together for years, uh-huh. uh, recently wrote a lament to an older dying congregation that he was a part of when he was a child. Okay. And after 100 years, they're having to shut their doors. Oh. Just as The congregation kind of died off. Yes. And he was really lamenting, you know, missing the facility and mm. listening, you know, the people. But the demographics have changed in the community. Yes. And so he just kind of casually mentioned, and oh, by the way, so we're going to have to sell the property and donate the money. And I wrote him a note, and I said, that's fantastic. Oh, that's I mean, it, because God's doing so many wonderful things. I said, when do you get an infusion of several million dollars oh, into, into God's It really is. Oh. And so rather than looking at this as a death, I mean, we've seen what's happened in the culture in the past five to ten years, and many times we look at it as, oh, this is awful. But, Pastor Rick, I get the sense that you're looking at what's happening in the culture and saying, this is a miracle. This is, is wonderful. It yeah, is wonderful. Talk about that, how that's impacting your church. Yeah, well, we're, we're thankful for what God has done. I mean, like we've mentioned, uh, what took place during the pandemic was difficult and hard, but people come out uh, come out and started taking new stands and, and fresh passion and love for the Lord. New ministries began. Uh, during that time, the pandemic, there was a lady who started a um, a church um, prayer time on Wednesday mornings. And at first, she was the only one. Everyone was meeting online. Now it meets every single uh, Wednesday. We have a great group that comes. That kind of spawned out of that. And um, I mentioned, again, that the the sense of commitment and passion uh, was not lessened, but rather intensified, Mm -hmm. I think, Mm -hmm. by those difficulties. Mm -hmm. God sends trials, I think, to make us stronger and to increase our, our desire to follow him. And we've seen that in our church. I'm talking with Pastor Rick Krzyzewski today here on The Bottom Line. Senior pastor, lead pastor, how do you like to be addressed? Either pastor? one, senior pastor Pastor fine. Rick is fine. <laughs> uh, of Orange Coast Community Church, OCCC.Church is the website. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com. Just a couple minutes left in our conversation, Pastor Rick, and there's someone listening to us right now that says, you know, I'm part of that 25% of Christians who got out of the habit. Mm-hmm. I started watching online, right. or maybe I don't. And I really am. I'm, I'm rethinking mm. my church attendance. I'm so basically, even though they've walked with the Lord for many years, they're looking for a new fellowship. Yes. Talk about why OCCC is a great place to kind of relaunch that faith. It's an excellent place. First of all, because you're accepted just the way you are. Right. Uh, people will put their arm around you when they don't even know you. Uh, you'll experience their laughter. Uh, on top of that, we guarantee that you'll be taught the Word of God in Amen. a way that's interesting, mm-hmm. informative, and life-changing. So you'll be fed from the Word. Mm. You'll be fed with the fellowship of God's people. There are opportunities to grow, opportunities to step in and, and use the gifts that the Lord has given you. Mm-hmm. And you'll find it to be a compassionate, caring congregation as well. And so even though it's small, I think we have just about everything you could ask for. So. Yeah, it sounds massive. And I appreciate, I mean, and I, I don't mean this to patronize, I appreciate you talking about the, you know, the feeding of the sheep from the Word of God every mm-hmm. week in the, in the worship service, because I remember those early days of the pandemic when it was like, okay, I mean, I was on staff, but we would go record our service and then, right. you know, show it on social media. So Sunday morning, you're kind of like dial hopping as we I know. in the radio world I know. to see what other churches were doing. And I was, I was heartbroken to see the number of churches that where you could tell they had a rhythm, they had a routine, and there wasn't any expectation. 
There wasn't any anticipation. Wow. People came to check off the box and hear what this guy was saying, and I'm like, "Where's the joy? Oh. You know, where where is the where is the nourishment? You know, yes. I mean, it, 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 it very rarely did we find a church." that actually had that. And so I get that sense in you, just having met you for the first time here <laughs> in studio. And so I appreciate your, when you say we're doing this, it's not my pastor dictates everything that's oh, going no, on, but rather no it's, way. it's feed my sheep, feed my lambs, that's here it. we come. That's what Jesus said. He told Peter that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. <laughs> 60 seconds left in our conversation, Pastor Rick Krzyzewski, uh, Senior Pastor at Orange Coast Community Church. What is your, your during this Lenten season, getting ready to celebrate the resurrection, what is your word of encouragement to our bottom line audience? The word of encouragement is that Christ is alive and he wants to infuse you with new life today. Amen. He's a God of the resurrection. He's a God of each morning is a brand new day. And regardless of what you've done, no matter how badly you may have sinned, he will always forgive you. And ultimately, he has a fabulous plan if you'll just release the reins of your life to him. Amen. Amen. You cannot hold on to your own life and receive what God has for you at the same time. Definitely not. It you can. must release it. That's right. Let it go. Pastor Rick Krzyzewski, great to get to know you. Uh, senior pastor at Orange Coast Community Church in central Orange County, a stone's throw a really long throw. <laughs> uh, uh, you need a launcher to get it there, but you, within within spitting distance, as my friends used to say, of Anaheim State. That's right. Uh, in, in Central Orange County, OCCC.church is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Pastor Rick, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so line. much. I appreciate it. Well, we will definitely make sure we have this website up there. As a matter of fact, I'll give it to you once again. It's got a different suffix than what you're used to getting. It's not a .net or .org or .com. It's OCCC.church. That's the website, and you can learn more about Orange Coast Community Church, one of the many churches we'll be highlighting here during this Lenten season with this week and next week leading up into Easter Sunday, uh, April the 9th. Some final thoughts in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. My thanks again to Pastor Rick Krzyzewski, uh, the lead pastor at Orange Coast Community Church, OCCC.church is where you find them online. Literally a fabulous Christian church in Orange, California. And uh, we're grateful to be profiling the things that they're doing here, especially with Lenten season upon us and Holy Week coming up next week. Speaking of which, Holy Week, of course, is when we really get I mean, down to brass tacks. I mean, it's been said that people in the Christian faith uh, are, are the ones who... De- 
differentiate between Christmas and Easter as in the whole world celebrates Christmas. I mean, whether it's just a day to give gifts or take a day off or go on vacation or whatever, the whole world celebrates Christmas. Easter is a different animal because the Easter celebration uh, is typically uh, one for the uh, the church, the Christian church, and we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For those outside the church, um, it's just another day. I mean, it's a day to, to they get dressed up and holidays and I can remember years gone by having extended family member who weren't Christians but loved having a big Easter spread and Easter egg hunt and this that and the other thing and I know there are a lot of churches who are doing that Uh, it's interesting when pet parishioners look at churches and ask the question you know what is this all about I mean I'll I'll be honest with you we Lisa and I were watching our worship uh, choice online when we have days when we're just kind of wiped out or whatever we're watching church at home um, we were watching a, a mega church out of a different part of the country. And the teaching was solid. It was a little uh, long. I mean, I, I, I made the comment afterwards, kind of tongue-in-cheek, that the pastor took about a 10-minute homily and squeezed it into an hour-long sermon. But <laughs> there was a lot of music at the beginning. The service went on for almost two hours. And there was a lot of music at the beginning. And at one point, I looked at my wife and she looked at me and we both said the same thing was, this feels more like a concert, it feels more like a performance, it doesn't necessarily feel like a worship service. And I, for whatever reason, this year in particular, I'm very contemplative with regard to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in ways that I haven't been in the past. And I'm glad that we're doing this special opportunity to give you a chance to share what the resurrection means to you. Maybe this is something that you haven't really thought about. I mean, if Easter is a busy time and uh, you know some people get freaked out by even just mentioning Easter and Christianity in the same uh, sentence. It's like, no, it's all about the resurrection. Well, I mean, this is, when you look at what happened on, you know, the Passover week and leading up to and what is now celebrated by the world as Easter, by by the church as Resurrection Day, Jesus basically came in and co-opted the Jewish Passover. He co-opted the secular Easter spring celebration and turned it into the new covenant in his blood with the new with the eucharist if you will the lord's table and also saying okay now that this is the new commandment i give you go love one another as i've loved you if you are in the church you have this mandate to love other people but the only reason we do let's face it if jesus was a great teacher and he died on the cross for reasons that the left usually can't explain and then he didn't rise again then it's just business as usual. And to people outside the church, it is just business as usual. They're okay with historical Jesus. They're okay with wounded Jesus. They're okay with healing Jesus and miraculous Jesus. But there have been other people who've done miraculous things too. There are other people who have been killed for their faith or their belief system. So why is Jesus any different? The pivot point for us as Christians, uh, even beyond the virgin birth, I mean, obviously the incarnation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and born of a virgin so as to you know keep that line that bloodline if you will pure but the death and resurrection is the payoff because of the blood of jesus christ being shed for you and for me on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins paying the penalty for that sin i I wonder how many people in the body of christ realize that jesus you know we talk about jesus paid it all all to him i owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow that's the closing hymn on the through the bible program every day But understanding, of course, that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin, because everyone will have to give not only an accounting for their sin, but they're going to have to pay for it. And the fact that we now have our debt paid is just a, it's one of the many glorious 
attributes of the resurrection. If you go to kbrightradio.com, we have a special link where you can jot us a note and tell us what the resurrection means to you. Now, if you don't like computers or or maybe our webpage isn't coming up good in your browser, uh, you can call Crystal or Teresa at 800-227-SPECIAL NUMBER, 227-2337. That's 800-227-2337. And they'll either walk you through the whole process or they'll just take what your thoughts are over the phone. But we're compiling this uh, just kind of remembrance, if you will, that we'll be uh, broadcasting through on Easter Sunday, April the 9th. So we'd love to get you involved in this. What does the resurrection mean to you? 800-227-2337 is the special number to call. Uh, send us an email. We're going to be putting uh, some of these in our April newsletter. And uh, really would love to, to get your feedback on this. Because brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, this isn't heavy theology in the sense that we should be, you know, oftentimes people will say, I love listening to you and Steve Gregg and some of the other Bible teachers. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm talk show host. <laughs> I, I can, I mean, I've pastored, I have, I can teach scripture. But in terms of what we do here on the air, it's more of a current events, a little bit of hope, a little bit of encouragement, um, that type of thing. But when it comes to Easter, and especially this year, is we see revival taking place everywhere, or so it seems. And yet a number of people falling away from so-called faith, and the people who don't have any faith in Christ really doubling down on the fact that they don't want it. Um, this is, I mean, you get the sense that what Jesus said, don't go weeding the garden where the wheat, or the wheat is growing. We'll go ahead and we'll harvest the wheat and the tares together, and then we'll separate and burn the tares and keep the wheat. Well, you get the sense that that's starting to happen right now? Isn't that super exciting? I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's hard in some ways that your old way of life is being torn apart, but this is all temporary. Our souls are going to heaven to live and rule and reign with the Lord eternally. Isn't that good news? That's the bottom line. 